It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. said sometimes with the british film industry it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning let's find out welcome to another britflix.com podcast my name's stuart wright and i used to manage a rock band in the early 2000s they were called the tokyo dragons and as part of us getting signed we took part in a one-time only series called breaking point on mtv um, it was crazy stupid and it lied through its teeth in terms of when they filmed me talking about stuff but it led to a record deal so it was all gold um, why am I telling you this I'm about to talk to Colin Ford about Doc and Roll TV a, a, a streaming service so where you can watch documentaries related to music hence Doc and Roll welcome to the show Colin thanks Stuart to be here Indeed. Now, before we go into details about specific documentaries, because we're going to do five great documentaries with you, and uh, or five doc, let's let's call it five doc and roll documentaries. Um, yeah. Do you want to give um, give the listener a sort of, I guess, a brief a, a potted history, I suppose, of doc and roll fest coming morphing into doc and roll TV, and that so people get a sense of who you are. Yeah. Well. Um... We uh, we set up Talk and Roll Film Festival in 2014 in Happy Picture House just uh, because we realised. Uh, well, I'm from I'm from Dublin, as you probably recognise my accent. Um, when I arrived in London and relocated to London seven years ago, I just realised there was nobody serving the niche of under the radar music docs. All the big music docs got major releases here across the, the cinema chains, but there was. A lot of music docs that fell by the wayside that I was a fan of. I had mates who were fan of this type of uh, this type of material, but it was just wasn't getting a look in at all. So we set up a festival dedicated to these left of field music docs and uh, subculture kind of documentaries. And um, little by little, over the last six years, we spread from. Um, London, which has now become an annual two and a half week festival. Amazing. Yeah, 30-odd uh, premiere films every year. And then we take the best performing of those uh, 10, best performing of those 30, and tour them or, uh, across 14 regional cities. Um, and also screen in Dublin when I get a chance to go home as well. So uh, obviously with the current scenario with this virus situation, um, we were just about to launch our regional tour uh, this weekend, at the end of March, which mm. is going to run 10 weeks. 75 events cancelled and Q&As and after parties and all that gone down the drain. So um, we launched this film festival to get people away from their laptops originally <laughs> six years ago and um, create a kind of a social environment for people to come 
who uh, you know might not generally get to mainstream cinemas, might not be interested in hanging out in cinema, but just to create a vibe, a social vibe to talk about the films, the music, the scenes, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, basically a counter kind of reaction against you know the VOD streaming thing, which is ironic now that we set this up in, in a way. But um, we set up Dock and Roll TV and launched it about six months ago mm-hmm. uh, uh, because we actually we realised there's many many people across the UK and Ireland who just can't make it to our uh, screenings even if we come within half an hour drive of the town or wherever they're living. Yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, there is there is a there is a an audience for these online as well. Like you know, um, some of the films we have. Um, are online elsewhere but they're so difficult to find and they're not really well regarded within the major VOD players that they, the algorithms don't really push them to, to the front they're very hard to find so we saw a bit of an, uh, an opening there for us to have some exclusive docs and also some docs are already out there but just create a channel for uh, branding awareness for people to go okay this is the music doc channel let's go there because yeah like I said you know you know yourself and VOD channels and major ones there's so much content and it can be so difficult just to find it unless you're severely dedicated just because of SEO and all the rest if you're not a hugely dedicated fan if you if you don't spend more sometimes it can take you like you know 10 15 20 minutes on Google to find an individual film a lot of our fans just don't bother with that you know they can't find it immediately not confront they're not gonna seek it out somewhere at the back end of you know prime you know but how do people get dock and dock and roll TV well, it's probably the easiest thing is to go straight to the website or Google Dock and Roll TV. Mm-hmm. So it's all uh, there's no subscription. This is um, dip in and out as you like on demand between three pounds fifty and five pound per per view. So you know there's no uh, risk of uh, signing up to something you don't think you're going to use. So you just dip in and out as it is. Right. At the moment, we have sixteen films up there mm-hmm. across all genres. So. You know, just like our festival, we, we cater for all musical tastes of the left of field. So from classical, uh, from classical music to electronic to house techno, punk, funk, indie soul, all the way across metal, hardcore metal, whatever hardcore mm. punk things. So we got all a taste of all those types of genres on the on the streaming platform. But you know, it's only been up and running for seven months, so. It's a work in progress. Uh, we hope to have um, eventually soon have 30 films up there. So we're halfway there. Um, and, you know, the current scenario, hopefully we'll get filmmakers to uh, to get on board, really, you know, as a way in the next couple of months to get these films out there. Brilliant. Well, look, just before we, we, we get into concentrating on five, five specific films, can yeah. you just get because we have a, we have a lot of filmmakers are, are our general audience. So for the documentary filmmaker that's listening in, yeah. how how are you spotting rock and roll documentaries for the festival? Um, well, how should they, uh, how can they how how can they get that if they're making a rock and roll documentary? How how's how do they get your attention? Right. Um, so uh, Film Freeway, uh, they probably aware of like. Um, is a platform that we use for submissions. Right. I used to um, spend uh, like most of my work would have been as the programmer of Doc and Roll, hmm. searching social media, particularly Facebook uh, in the early days um, for 
um, these films because I something I didn't mention, Stuart, is that the vast majority of our content is crowdfunded docs, so they kind of rely on some kind of grassroots social media uh, support, usually from Facebook, to kind of leverage the film somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I, I would have spent a lot of time trawling through Facebook, but now they can send their films directly into Film Freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, that's uh, submissions for our headline festival in November. So that closes in uh, the end of July. Right. It's the late deadline, but like we're ex- we accept submissions for the vast majority of the year. Um, so it's uh, Doc and Roll Film Festival on Film Freeway. Brilliant. Well, look, so, I'll, put, I'll put links in the show notes so people can click on that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, without further ado, let us move on to five great documentaries from Doc and Roll TV. Um, just for people that don't know the format, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the five films, and we're, I'm allocating five minutes of film, not because I'm a pedant, but because well, I'm a pedant, I suppose it's my rules. Um, but um, it's it's to avoid us talking for twenty minutes about one film and four minutes on four other films, all told. And when we hear the dulcet tones of um, the Edgar Broughton Band, that's the sign that five minutes are up. Now, obviously, in the in the master in the in the um, in the spirit of mastermind, if you start, you can finish, Colin. But um, just see it as being you can just trail off your thought if you want. First off the bat for five great documentaries from Docker Roll Docker Roll TV is. Um, HR Finding Joseph I, directed by James Lathos. Do you want to tell us something about that? Yeah. Uh, so this is a film that kind of came in late in the day to us. It was 2016. Um, we we uh, we basically agreed with James that um, that we'd get the world premiere of this, uh, which we screened in the ICA in November 2016. And James flew over from Florida, where he's based. Uh, for a Q&A with it. So it's a film on HR. He was the lead man of Bad Brains, which were uh, the leading um, black punk band of a hardcore scene in DC in the mid-80s. So uh, for me, it's not my scene particularly. You know, I'm a fan of Fugazi and bits and pieces like that, uh, Minor Threat and that. I was aware of Bad Brains, some of their tunes, but not that deeply aware of the band. But like a lot of the films that I show... I'm educating myself as I go through the program, you know? So um, I just had a look at the film. I really liked the whole concept of it, not alone just the music itself, but the chronicle of this guy who, uh, HR, his original name, Paul Hudson, who's the front man of this uh, extremely energetic, out there, uh, in your face, <laughs> hardcore DC punk band that really you know, got a name for themselves as just tearing shit up as they should in this kind of genre but um he fell by the wayside um after probably about a decade within the band because uh, undiagnosed or misdiagnosed uh, mental health issues that he had which um he was later diagnosed as being bipolar and it's kind of a bit of a a very interesting profile of the dynamics within bands and how they break up, why they break up, and also added to it the kind of indictment of the lack of uh, decent access to decent healthcare in the US if you're if you're not in a stable environment or if you're poor. And so basically, the the film's about um, 
you know, like I said about the, those issues to, to do with bands breaking up and uh, a trajectory of, you know, this this front man who was incredibly... Uh, I mean, I mean, Bad Brains were an iconic hardcore punk band. I mean, I, I, I came across them quite late on in their, in their, in terms of when they started. I, I started work at 16 in, in, in 88 and a, and a guy I worked with lent me an Alternative Tentacles compilation called right. Let Them Eat Jelly Beans. And it's got the, uh, the, the, the amazing electrifying tune called Pay to Come by Bad Brains, which yeah. just tears a strip off you. But I think that same year was when they released Eye Against Eye, which features heavily, and 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 it's their kind of mate. I think it's their major label. Um, yeah. And what what the documentary told me, as much as obviously there's that there's the harrowing tale of Paul Hudson's experiences, like you say, through the 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 terrible healthcare system, but also just you know trying to trying to trying to live in the creative industries because he's moving from band to band. Is that I'd literally I could I could. Um, I could recite your eye against eye backwards forwards, but I didn't know anything else about the band. It was almost like for me, I'd just that was it. I'd got off the bus at that point, as you know, moved right. on to other music, and it's yeah, yeah. And, and it's a album I still listen to. I, I rebought it on CD, but I'd never given given much thought other than you know when I talked to other friends who were into the who were into punk, it was you know Bad Brains are one of those iconic bands, and you know without without Bad Brains, it's almost like you don't have. Fishbone and Living Colour later on, other other sort of notable sort of black rock acts that yeah. that, that that hit the mainstream, and so, and it's great the way that the, the, that um, that James Lathos decided to tell the story in the sense of it's uh, you've got like the talking heads, so Ian Mackay from Fugazi, Vernon Reed from Living Colour talking in the present, but then it's it, it's piecing together almost in the same way that we we were used to now with these kind of true crime documentaries, almost like the puzzle of what the hell happened to Paul Hudson or why, why did it happen to Paul Hudson? Yeah. You know, despite the sort of infamy as this, this lead singer of such a, a well-regarded group. Um, and yeah. yet there he was um, sort of missing in action as it were. Yeah. Um, I totally the radar. Like, <laughs> and there we go. There's our first five minutes, sir. Greetings. In the name of His Imperial Majesty Jah Rastafari, my name is Ras Hayalu Gabriel Josephi, aka HR. Who is HR? Well, he's a lot of things, but number one, he's the best vocalist ever. He was a guy who made me feel like anything was possible. Everything was possible. When it's on, it's on. So if you happen to witness when it was like lightning striking, you got to feel those lights. You can see that on stage, like, he believes he's worshiping God. He's in it, and nothing else matters. That's an it thing that not many people have, that rock star it factor, and he so had it. We're watching a show, and he's doing a song, and he does a backflip, and he lands exactly at the end of the song, and it was like game over. Those early records are just so groundbreaking and so incredible, and I think that creativity comes with a bit of madness. You have to experience HR. You don't talk about HR, you experience it. There are a few moments where I started getting glimpses of HR's other side. I was in the crowd watching, and right in the middle of the set, I just saw Mike stand go up and, and boom. I didn't exactly know what was going on. You know, I'd see him on the streets. He'd been homeless, you know, since I've known him. Something happened to HR. Something happened to Joseph. Something happened somewhere. Yeah.
I was given a responsibility to be the leader, but I had to also be a human being or what was considered an angel of light. He lived the life of a rocker, a hardcore punk, and still doing it. And people don't understand. He's not living in a fancy house. He's not driving a fancy car. He's HR, you know what I mean? Human rights, and he's living his story. As troubled as he may be, he's strangely free. You know, he's still, he's just living. And uh, he's still a visionary. Still deeply creative. Still answering the muse, like still playing music. Who were the brains? Who were the mighty brains? Who was human rights? Who is that individual inside of that individual? Am I pretending to be HR or am I really, truly, you know, Dr. PhD? Moving swiftly on, we're going to stay in 2016 for the release of L7's Pretend We're Dead. Yeah, so, um, yeah, L7, uh, like I was saying uh, uh, earlier, it's like, there was a band that kind of passed me by, uh, unfortunately, but a very interesting uh, story, and particularly from the way this film was made. Um, the vast majority of the footage in it is from the band's own high eight recording of their American and European tours at the time, the mm. uh, early 90s in the grunge scene as they were coming up with the classics Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, that new style of documentary that can be extremely expensive to make in that if you don't have access and clearance on the on the archive, it can cost you an absolute fortune. But luckily, the band had all the rights to their own stuff. This is all their own personal material. And it's a real behind the scenes of the band coming together, getting out there, just saying, let's go, let's, let's make this happen. And then little by little, getting infamy maybe not not really the, uh, the record sales they were looking for due to bad luck a ser serious bad luck uh, and then just kind of falling apart and coming back together again it's 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 a it's quite a heartwarming film in a, in a way you know and it's uh, there's a lot of frustrations though in it as you can see within the the misogynistic music industry from the band's point of view because they're always incessantly named as and um, seen to be you know a girl band you know, and, yeah, and, and also what's what's quite amazing is that for for all of the the liberation in in terms of alternative rock that Nirvana and Pearl Jam gave gave um, artists, yeah, it did also turn it into if you're not stratospheric by the first two albums, then you're nobody. They yeah, they, yeah. they 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 kind of remove that kind of, and that's a pattern that you know continued on and on and got worse and worse. Um, and and to me, this 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 spoke most to me in terms of my own experiences of, of of managing a rock band, in the sense of you don't know how good it is when it's happening because somebody else is telling you the next bit of success is somewhere that you can't reach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're signed to a major label and you're like, yeah, and then you're somebody that no one's heard of on a major label. So then you've got to go and do festivals. You've got to, and everyone's saying this is the next, this is the next line. So you're too busy chasing the next line in the sand. Yeah. And it was it felt very true and very real the way. I mean, obviously, like you say, there's added on top of that, there is this idea that they wanted to be a rock band, not a female rock band, which yeah. doesn't sound unreasonable given how hard they rocked. 
you know the music spoke for itself yeah yeah and it, it's interesting you know what the members pointing out about how you know the whole grunge scene was supposed to be left to field and kind of slightly you know open-minded and all the rest but how actually misogynist it was like everything else like i had ken before you know in terms of their reactions you know that they got within the music industry well every every scene that, that ever and we'll get onto this with, with i guess with with what what the way brainiac the band sort of functioned is that every scene and everything that becomes popular immediately becomes conservative because somebody draws a line around it and says this is what it's meant to be anything else other than this is not what we expect and obviously yeah, sure. obviously suits at, at big record labels they don't yeah. want unpredictability even though they want to be associated with it but they want you to do it on the road but not in the studio kind of thing yeah no absolutely yeah so um yeah what did you think of it yourself like i found it to be a very you know it's really insightful film about the no no like i say it was it was it felt it felt like it reminded me i mean obviously they were much they were a much bigger band than the band i work with but in a sense it really gives you that insight into you don't know you're famous and if you are famous it's just about faces in your face and the phone rings and then the phone doesn't ring it's kind of there's no it's no explanation for either either end of the extreme and um, you're never in, con- as much as it might appear on the outside to be in control and you're living the dream, everybody is telling you you're not successful enough. Now, I'd, I mean, before I watched the documentary, I'd have thought L7 imploded just because of personalities. I thought I was going to watch the story of personalities, but actually that only comes like later on down the line that they have to, you know, have time apart. Yeah. But, but essentially the story is of a band not who weren't big enough you know <laughs> and they were and they're never and nobody's ever ready for it you know it's sort of it's a, yeah. it's a skill to be ready to be famous no absolutely yeah all the pressures that come with it like but yeah i um you know i found it it's like another thing open a door for me to a band that i'd heard of i knew one tune from and then having having screened it many times now and it's a film i really like i, I actually picked up a lot of their music since then so it's like i mean i was at i was at the um i was at the reading festival when she threw the uh the tampon in the crowd yeah 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 i mean that was i mean it's interesting seeing that story in isolation because that whole afternoon was just throwing mud at bands (laughs) it really was yeah she she took a very personal yeah i mean mud honey just basically downed instruments and just got into a sling a slang a a throwing match with the crowd And, and it was that it was it was awful as you can see from the footage that they've taken but um but yeah, no, it was it was interesting just hearing that because I, I knew the story and it was an infamous moment for Reading Festival, and um, and equally I remember the uh, I would I, I saw the word when it when it when it was broadcast. Yeah. So it was it's sort of it's 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 great to see those pivotal moments, but in the context of a much bigger story, which is a band not in control of anything. I mean, it was interesting also thinking about it now as we're talking is that we don't ever speak to the manager of the band, do we? We only ever yeah. really see the band members reflecting on what's yeah, going yeah. on. Yeah. It was we... all there. Like, that's how intimate it was. We... Well, there we go. I'm afraid I'm going to interrupt us there. <laughs> I'm Danita Spark. I'm Dee Plackis. I'm Susie Gardner. I'm Jennifer Finn. Ah! They were openly, brazenly feminist. They had the riffs, they had the songs. They just rocked. 
tons of cool bands in the underground by then. Everybody was getting a lot of attention. For L7, the momentum, you just felt it. Seven have become famous for their riot girl anthems, including this one, my own particular favourite, which contains the timeless lyric, got so much clit, she don't need no balls. Exactly. We put out a press release every video we made of some catastrophe, which never happened. I had our press agent say that I was attacked by a poodle. I had a lot of fun on Lollapalooza, but it wasn't like professional triumph. And then Kurt's death and losing people close to us was kind of a wake-up call. Because if that could happen to Kurt Cobain, fuck, you can't believe it. But it changed everything. What am I going to do? I don't have health insurance. I am a piece of shit. Like, what have I done to my life? There's nothing that'll break your heart like seeing your road cases loaded onto a pickup truck being sold to some guy for pennies on the dollar. And move us on to 2017's Manchester Keeps On Dancing. Do you want to tell us a bit about what that's, that, that film's about? Yeah, so this is a very interesting one. It's more obviously like, uh, but it's a profile of Manchester and its uh, influence on the electronic scene from like the mid '70s right up until the film was wrapped about three years ago. And um, there's been a lot, a lot of films out there, particularly made for TV films from the BBC on the hacienda scene and uh, its influence. But this is much broader, much more interesting in the sense that it it encapsulates you know how manchester became a bit of a mecca for the early chicago house scene detroit scene in the mid 80s and how that kind of fed looped back to uh detroit and chicago from its own success in manchester which is really pretty ironic and how it influenced the the, the growth in Berlin of the techno scene as well and back and forth from this kind of northern industrial town that, you know, is, is you know, is, isn't necessarily something you would think would be on the radar of the electronic scene. It, it just shows how it kind of acted as a beacon for, for particularly from the Hacienda's point of view, you know, people who are going to take a chance on setting up, you know, a left of field club to, Play very left field music in 1985, 86, and, and channel this black music that uh, was getting no look in where, where it was actually being made in Detroit and Chicago. So, this film, uh, it's one of its main uh, protagonists is Greg Wilson, who's uh, one of the head honchos of the Manchester scene, who explains, you know, the whole vibe of Manchester and the whole basically comparing and contrasting it to London, of course, but also to its neighbour, Liverpool, in the terms of the type of, of uh, local atmosphere in Manchester where people just want to go out and party no matter what. And just like, you know, particularly from the point of view of being industrial, 
original. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's and that's a theme of um, of Dave Haslam, obviously a man, a man who DJ'd in Manchester and made his made his name for doing so. Um, he's he features, he features in the film, and and he wrote a book about the history of Manchester as this kind of hedonistic town. You know, the the work yeah. hard, play hard element to it. I remember I, I used to work when I was a when I was a kid still in school. I had a Saturday job working in a warehouse, and I worked right. with these two guys. One was a bouncer, and one was a DJ at the Playpen in Manchester, yeah, um, yeah. off Deansgate, which has sort of been about eighty five, eighty six. And he, they used to play tapes in the warehouse of what I used to think of as being instrumental soul music but obviously as we as we week on week i began to learn this was house music right and right. that was how i was exposed to it first and foremost i was like a, accidentally ahead of the curve in terms of my peer group um, yeah yeah so yeah it's an analysis that basically there the northern soul of rare groove thing kind of morphed in the late 80s but of course the ib thing influence and the whole story of you know 87 88 coming back from those you know idyllic summer holidays and crazy music going on crazy partying and you know filtering in to Manchester and London and uh, it's, a, it's a particularly interesting point of view in the film in that it was shot made by uh, a filmmaker from Madrid mm. called Hans who happened to be relocated from Madrid to uh, Manchester I think it was about seven or eight years ago working for Man City TV and that was his day job, bread and butter. So he was away from his wife uh, and decided in his spare time and his love of electronic music to take borrow the high-end cameras that he had at work and go out and shoot. Uh, can I, uh, can I ask you, for, as, as someone from Manchester, what, from, from watching the documentary and what you perceived about Manchester, what did the documentary change in terms of your perception of Manchester as a party city? Uh, change in terms of well, it's just the breadth of it. Like, and particularly the influence it had back, bouncing back towards uh, towards the original where it was coming from, from Chicago initially, and also how it fed into the Berlin scene. Like, because I went, I went to Berlin uh, ninety six and ninety seven, and like you know, I had never made, I never made it to Manchester, you know, until about seven or eight years ago. Hmm. So. But Manchester was always on my radar from other friends who'd gone for long weekends from Dublin for clubbing in the late 90s. So it kind of, um, I, I see a lot of affinity like Liverpool as well because with Dublin where I'm from in terms mm. of being open, friendly, uh, you know, working class more or less city from back in the day, maybe not so much now, but that, you know, the original kind of, you know, no bullshit, like, you know, just don't take no bullshit. You know, like, <laughs> In other cities, you know, uh, you know, chances on that I'll call out pretty quickly, you know, and it's just of, of of just just partying for partying's sake and nothing to do with like being a poser or any of that thing. So you know, it just reinforced that kind of what I thought what I thought uh, the city was all about, really, from a distance. You know? No, I look forward. To that. I mean, I must for the for the audience's benefit. It's the one of the five we're talking about I've not seen, but. Um, I feel like it's one I should see now. Of course, yeah. And Andrew Rutherall features in it quite prominently as well. Or IP passed away recently, and and Marshall Jefferson, all the all the key heads in that. Indeed, no, no, no. It's uh, one, 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 certainly one to watch. Seeing the the landscape of Manchester change and different nights come and go and the way it is at the moment, it's um. 
it's in a really healthy place. It's diversity as, it, as they always has been with Manchester. Manchester's always been about forward thinking. end of the day it's got to be a party otherwise people aren't going to come back it's got to be a celebration what I am experiencing on this dance floor is life and the rest of the week I don't care about I live for these few hours moving on another one from 2017 this time Bunch of Cunts a film about Sleaford Mods yeah um, Christine yeah. Franz, and this is this is probably this is this is like to me this is like the if if L Seven had made a documentary when they did take the video, the video cameras on, on away with them at the point when they finished those tours, then in a way this is Sleeper Mods, and it? it's the story of the rise and rise. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. And um, so, and I was a fan of um, of the Sleepers before I came across this film, and it was actually. Um, it was it was really interesting. It was the kind of film. It was the kind of band I was looking for for quite a while, which would you know articulate something about what was going on post you know the banking crisis of two thousand eight. But I didn't see it anywhere. So I was when I stumbled across them somewhere I can't remember where. Um, I was you know delighted just to see the rawness and actually talking about what actually is going on from a band that set up I think it was two thousand seven in Nottingham. Mm. So was before the financial crisis, you know. Um, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of punk, mostly post-punk as well. Like, and this kind of feeds into to that. But I'm particularly interested in how the band streamlined themselves into uh, just Jason Williamson, the frontman vocalist, and uh, Andrews, the beat maker, who makes his beats on a laptop, brings it with him, and that's it. Like, so it's kind of really interesting DIY story, uh, DIY film, and a bit of DIY band who are from a town that most people don't really pay that much attention to off the beaten track somewhat from Manchester or Liverpool or Nottingham, or, like, or I mean, London. So, you know, Nottingham has. Uh, you know, has a music scene, obviously, but it's 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 quite overlooked quite a bit. Being yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not. It, it you know, Ear Eight Records is you yeah. know is is a fairly underground thing, but the mainstream don't don't associate Nottingham with much music, and I think Sleaford Mods have changed that dramatically. Um, yeah, yeah, was... thank you. Yeah, so this is this is another film made by an outsider as well. Like, um, director is German and. Um, I can't remember. She said she just stumbled across the band as well. I saw them uh, at some festival in Germany, and just said she had to come over. And, and, and what's what's interesting about about this documentary compared to say what 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 the, what the L7 documentary shows you is that yeah. is that the the Sleaford Mod guys are sort of are sort of 
unwilling to be famous, but also ready to be famous all at the same time. Yeah. Whereas in comparison with the L7 documentary, what you see on the footage is sort of hysteria and histrionics, but obviously a chaos and out of control. But like you say, their conscious decision to be controlled and sorry, controllable with their minimal setup means that they're not reliant on others to even put a yeah. gig on. Never mind. They could put a gig on in my office, which is not much bigger than my desk, which there's not, yeah, many, no. ro not many rock bands that can sell out to 2,000 people could claim that one. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's just really interesting to watch, like you know, a hilarious kind of scenario where they were playing to like two people and a dog in a pub in the middle of nowhere, and to the arc being within a year and a half of those uh, gigs, or barely, barely even call them a gig, uh, to playing Glasgow is a very interesting, <laughs> funny kind of story because the band themselves are incredibly surprised about that. I love, <laughs> I, I, I particular one of my standout moments though is is the is early on when Steve Ignorant of um, of Crass fame, yeah, um, steps just 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 tells just says I can't believe this is what I should have been doing. This is what I should. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It was like a bit of a no-brainer, but then, of course, you know, maybe the laptops didn't weren't as powerful back in the eighties. <laughs> no, no, totally no. But it is, it's, it. I mean, to make that link as well, though, I think is really cute from the from from Christine to as far as the documentary goes, because you get all the all the talking heads of, of of sort of real fans of music who are you know covered in sweat head to toe, telling you how you know how great the experiences was to watch them, and that's sort of atypical of a rock documentary but in the context of Sleaford Mods it, it, it became more important because you got the sense of these are talking for me this is this is who this is my life and they're singing about it and no one else is singing about it which is very different than I guess if you go back to say Britpop when there was a lot of sort of understatedness about being a rock star so you think of Oasis it was always about downplaying it you know tall poppy syndrome wasn't a thing you know and and yeah. you were just it was like everyone looked the same whether you're on the stage or whether you were in the crowd but there was nothing intelligent being said whereas Sleaford Mods have took that kind of formula and then added this intelligence to it and these observations of what it's really like being in yeah. a shit job absolutely yeah. just beautiful satire like you know just like some of the some of the lyrics are just hilarious like I mean Job Seeker is a, is a great a great a great you know it's just in your face there it is like you know the whole this you know the disenfranchise the whole you know taking apart of the whole benefit structure from the last particular last decade you know so it's kind of there's another five minutes up sir yeah all right right so even, we didn't even get to mention steve the manager in that as well but yeah it's a very interesting insight him being a, a bus driver in that as well like, well let's mention him for a second let's briefly we've still got plenty of time so yeah he, he, him him but also what what's great is later on the reveal of this man who is a who is a genuine sort of record collector nerd as well with his whole everything yeah. by rough trade from 77 to 82 and so yeah, yeah. again it's that fairly understated thing that you know i, I kind of recognize as someone from a, i mean i grew up sort of 10 miles north of manchester and right. that kind of um working those working class areas where it's almost like you're reluctant to accept any kind of praise it's almost like better to it's like better to not be noticed than be noticed but at the same time obviously if you're going to promote a band inevitably you're going to get noticed if you become popular and 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 the three of them it's like it's almost like a tug of war between <laughs> the reality of what's going on and who they are and yeah. you've got those lovely scenes where he's talking to his colleagues that he obviously works on the buses with and yeah. And it's fairly, and in that sense, it's all fairly grounded, and it's really enjoyable. And for, and I think as a, as a reflection of a, I guess a modern day band and, 
modern day Britain. I think it's a, it's it's a it's a brilliant documentary. And I hadn't realised that the uh, the filmmaker wasn't wasn't from Britain. So I think that that's maybe a lot to do with it that they're seeing the Britain that we that we might be blind to because it's just so bloody normal. The album of the year has been released today. I'm filming Christine's documentary. She's asked me to. Two guys stood on stage, and it's pure, and it's like, and you can't fuck with it. In the deep, like, caverns of, like, small towns in England, that is where great music exists. The smell of piss is so strong, it smells like decent bacon. Kevin's getting footloose on the overspill, underneath the piss station. They are the voice of Britain. They tell what Britain is like at the moment. If you were on, like, £15 a week, and you turn the telly on and some fuckers spouting on about love, you know, with a guitar in the middle of a forest. Yeah. I mean, that's just shit. It is a band that on paper shouldn't really appeal to people, but it does. King out of the film, actually. Yeah, it's a band with old men. We both felt like we've not fit in, fit in anywhere. <laughs> I think I've beaten off more than I can chew with this fucking voice of the people tag they keep fucking giving us. Yeah. Jesus. Do you really? Yeah, fucking, they can stop that bollocks. It's like an independent label, an independent band that's totally away from regular music business. Business? Oh, big bus. I did tell the wife I thought I was a rock star the other night, though. That's fucking shit, isn't it? Uh -oh. It felt like we were a proper band. What we've done over the past couple of years has been fucking groundbreaking in terms of what we've got away with. Just crazy. Yes. Yeah, How the fuck has it got to this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to our final choice of our five great uh, roll TV documentaries. Brainiac Transmissions to Zero from 2019. Again, Brainiac like L7, uh, not so much the um, Bad Brains, but you know, there was a band that I heard of somewhere back in the day, you know, where it was like their kind of main time was like 92, 3 and 4. And, you know, I was a big fan of Beck uh, when I stumbled across his debut album and uh it's it's this this is about a film that this is a film that a band that was just on the cusp of breaking to having toured with that just breaking into the big main mainstream when their um lead singer passed away tragically which is not much of a you know i'm not giving anything away here because that's featured in the trailer itself it's mm. tragic passing but it's uh, a band from the middle of nowhere again in Dayton Ohio where you know the breeders are from uh, nationals from there a few other bands but not that many uh, I think Devo might be from there as well are they um, mm. I think so but it basically off the beaten track band uh, that is very hard to, to pigeonhole this very 
<laughs> I find it quite difficult to to figure out apart from indie alternative rock where they're coming from, but there was a lot more to them than just those two labels. Well, so. it was very it was very angular, wasn't it? The music they were playing. I mean, it it, it resonated with um, bands that I remember, like Jonathan Fire Eater or, or John Spencer Blues Explosion. But oh yeah, the Blues Explosion, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but I'm, I get, like yourself, I, I was aware of them as a name, but they weren't they weren't a band I'd ever bought a record by during that time, yeah. and I was buying lots of lots of uh, you know peak time for me and yeah. it was interesting to see that these were considered such a seminal band and so important yeah. um and obviously it was it was a i guess a pre-internet age so that transference over to europe meant it's kind of very much an american college circuit thing i imagine yeah. i imagine there's a generation of americans who would have who would who be more than familiar with it than their european cousins yeah, yeah, no, it was like, and what I thought it was really interesting and funny, and actually to see uh, Steve Albini in there talking about this band because you know he's he's usually he's he's a curmudgeon to say the least in a mm. lot of cases in stars of music. So to have him as you know, one of the flag waving for for the band, it must have been a phenomenal band, I'd say. You know, this for me is the perfect type of rock documentary in the sense of I've got a half half an awareness of who they are, no idea yeah. what they sound like. And yeah. then this is amazing story underneath it, which is not just about the tragic death of the sort of main creative force, yeah. but also the idea that he's the the son of a kind of jazz empresario, a you know, a, a, I think it's a professional yeah. piano player, his his mother, and yeah, so yeah. that upbringing around musical instruments meant that he 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 kind of was a talented musician, and then he just turned that energy into something into something else around a kind of explosion of alternative rock. So he had like a proper, a real ear for me as a trained musician, but then he yeah. was doing this rock music, which didn't yeah. sound like many other people's idea of rock music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people didn't know, they didn't know where to class them as, like at all, or where to get in. It just, it just seemed like the energy was particularly live, you know, in terms of... I loved, I loved as well the, the stories of, um, of their thrift shop clothes buying, which was very much part of their persona. And yeah, then yeah. finding yourself driving around the states of, say, Alabama or somewhere, and realizing that you, as a gang, wearing yeah. day glow glasses and green trousers, isn't necessarily what anyone wants to see outside yeah, of your yeah, little yeah. bubble. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And it, like the, the story, though, I mean, it, the, the story arc when the lead singer passes away is like what actually happened to the band is kind of interesting as well. Mm. So. so where one of one of the I don't I can't remember who it was one of the band members just never picked up never touched music again and went off and yeah when I became an animator in um uh, Juan who did all the graphics for the band he became an animator in film yeah the, yeah, dr yeah, yeah. the drummer became a born again Christian that was that was very interesting <laughs> and then the you know and then the other guy I mean the other guy uh, whose name I'm, who escapes me now he. I remember Caribou as an act. That was something that when I was a music journalist, I covered. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, there we go. There's our, there's our five five minutes all done. I want to picture someone visiting our planet and listening in and they hear Brainiac. And they go, what the fuck is going on in that planet? From down in the basement of Dayton, Ohio, come Brainiac, bound with tunes, a sense of style, and we want to hear them. You felt like you, you, you might get zapped if you touched them, you know? <laughs> like they were, they were Brainiac, you know? They sizzled. They had so much momentum. Brainiac. Brainiac. And Brainiac coming up. You know, major label industry interest 
million, two million dollars, and just tons of hand wringing. When you're that in demand, you can set the rules and set the guidelines. And they became that in demand. At the time, I thought, wow, this band's really capable of something, I think, extraordinary. They watched that right as they arrived at that moment. It was on the news, and um, I, for some reason, I didn't look at the TV. It was a bad news week for the rising indie band Brainiac. Lead singer, 28-year-old Tim Taylor, was killed in an early morning single car crash near his home in Dayton, Ohio. Brainiac was being courted by the majors at the time of Taylor's death. I hope people realize that, yeah, this is a tragic story, but it's not a story about tragedy. You know, when once someone is gone, it's the job of the survivors to pick up the pieces. Bigger than a band, bigger than one human being, that energy lives on through all these other people. From where I'm at, it's about celebrating that memory. The story really didn't end 20 years ago. It's still being written. So let me just do a quick run through of the five films, the five great documentaries you can see on Doc, Docfest, um, Doc Roll TV. There's uh, HR Finding Joseph I. There's L7 Pretend We're Dead. Manchester Keeps on Dancing, Bunch of Cunts, a film about Sleaford Bods, and Brainiac, Transmissions to Zero. Uh, I'll put links in the show notes to where people can watch these films and the, and the rest of your uh, your catalogue of films that are available for people to watch. Um, I guess in these, and we are talking enduring these um, self-isolating times, but you, you have got your window open for submissions for 2020's Dock and Roll Fest, so people can can submit their documentaries to that. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, any other news that you want to share with uh, Britflix listeners? Uh, not really. Just keep an eye on Doc and Roll TV in the next uh, few weeks and months. We're going to be adding more titles, like I said at the beginning, so I'll just keep an eye on that. It's going to be something there, hopefully, that will tick your box. Brilliant. Well, look, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the Britflix podcast. Nice one. Thanks, Jared. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.